0: The a Champions of Growth Podcast, I'm Matthew Schwartz. When President Biden declared last month that the pandemic is over, the announcement landed with a veritable thud. Even before Biden's decree, people seemed to be putting the pandemic behind them, with folks returning to their offices, football stadiums and concert venues packed, and holiday revelers raring to get back to in-store shopping after spending the better part of the last two years cooped up at home. But pull back the camera and the picture reveals some dramatic changes in consumer behavior that are still unfolding. Just 13% of consumers think we're going back to some sense of normal, and 87% say COVID-19 will lead to permanent changes compared to the so-called before times. That's according to the Human Condition 2020 Shock to the System. The report, released by marketing agency Known, is based on the responses from nearly 1,800 people nationwide, ages 13 to 71. Here to discuss some of the results from the study, as well as larger trends in consumer behavior and what they mean for marketers, is Ross Martin, co-founder and president of Known, whose clients include Amazon, Google, and TikTok. Ross is the former global head of marketing at Paramount, where he oversaw creative innovation. He's also the executive producer of Genius, a Kanye trilogy, which premiered earlier this year on Netflix. I wanted to start off with a look back and a look forward. Uh, The Human Condition 2020 Shock to the System study, which your firm released a couple of years ago, and it's based on the responses from nearly 1,800 people nationwide, found that just 13% of Americans believe we're going back to some sense of normal post-pandemic. Well, President Biden declared recently that the pandemic is over, although there was no change in national policy. Uh, Do you think brands and consumers may revert back to the before times mindset and that that 13% could slowly change over time? Or do you still maintain that we're on the cusp of a new normal?
1: I don't think we're on the cusp of a new normal. I think we are in the middle of a new normal. Uh, I think we're living in a world of total uncertainty. And I'm not just referring, of course, to the macroeconomic uncertainty, but also the cultural and political turmoil that we face in this country and around the world. It turns out the 87% of us who felt that we weren't going back, but that things were going to change forever, were right. Much as that is hard to accept sometimes, and in some ways, it more and more feels like the truth from where we sit.
0: What does the new normal look like, and how should marketers approach it, particularly those who understand, uh, as you just sort of referred to, that we're on the cusp of some new constructs constructs here, but are challenged by whether it's a lack of resources, a lack of alignment with the C-suite, or just general inertia?
1: There's no playbook for the world we're living in right now, and what I find is funny is that you know we live in uh, you know in, in an industry here where very smart people sound very confident that they know as pundits what's coming next or what to make of the world that we're actually in. But I think those of us who are honest with ourselves and with our teams and with our clients know that we're very much responding in real time to dynamics that we could never have anticipated. It's what you start to see is as as new kinds of leaders emerge, they're different than the leaders of enterprise before, even five or 10 years ago. Uh, There are different things required of chief marketing officers and CEOs who you know, or running a business in an environment this dynamic.
0: Do you think having said that three to five to seven year plan, long-term planning is becoming somewhat compromised with that?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, Matthew, I think we're in more of a three to five to seven day planning cycle, if you ask me. Um, Richard Edelman famously as sort of looks back on what he achieved in public relations is acknowledging even just the change in in his field, right? In his company and talks about how Edelman PR and their competitors will actually look and feel more like a newsroom, real-time responding to threats, challenges and opportunities for their clients. Running a marketing agency with 500 people across the US and clients all around the world, It would be really nice to be able to tell you and my board what's going to happen three years from now. Uh, What I do know is we better be nimble. We better be prepared to respond to the threats, the challenges and the opportunities as they come.
0: Uh, Moving forward, Ross, what do you see as the most salient behavioral changes, new habits among consumers that are taking on a more uh, permanent quality? And how is that impacting ad creative? And
1: yeah, Matthew, I think, so I love this question. I think it's very clear to me what is the most significant change in consumer behavior. And it would be around expectations. Consumers have all the power. They know it. They can make decisions um, and then change them. The scroll of a thumb. You're at their mercy if you're a brand trying to win their attention and their affection. What we're seeing now would be porting of expectations from one category to another. I have a certain set of expectations for what my phone can do. And if it doesn't respond or even anticipate what I want next, then I get frustrated. I call that the anxiety of inference, meaning like, why can't you, computer or phone, infer what I'm going to do next or what I want based on all the data you've got from me for the last 20 years? That's unreasonable, but that's a set of expectations that is largely or increasingly being met by technology providers. What is maybe a bit more unfair to expect is that every business could be that responsive and intuitive. I don't believe that when I go charge my car, that the charging station should be ready for me and know that I'm about to arrive. But how far are we away from that expectation? Or when I go to get a burger at my favorite burger joint, why don't they know I'm on my way, even if I haven't told them? We're headed to a world where that's going to be the reality. We're just not there yet. What is very difficult for business operators in lots of categories would be really deeply, fundamentally understanding consumer need, but more importantly, consumer expectation.
0: Okay. And that expectation may be a bit unrealistic now, but two or three years from now, yeah, the the, the burger joint's going to know you want lettuce, and tomato, but no ketchup on your burger.
1: Right, avocado avocado as well.
0: But for now, what about just those companies that in terms of consumer expectations can really just take care of what is frankly, the low hanging fruit?
1: What I love about the best CMOs today is that they understand that your brand is everything you do. It's not just what you say through social media and linear and OTT and connected television. It's what you say when they walk into your restaurant or your car dealership, which is often much more consequential when it comes not just to conversion, but brand love, affinity. There's brand building activity going on right now. You and I are having a conversation. You're forming an opinion, as your listeners are, about me. I hope it's a good one. It's on me to do that. And I think we've lost that art somehow, and it's become very difficult for Brands to convince themselves to invest in human relationships one to one. But that's where we should be starting.
0: People's relationship to place and purpose yes. is just as important as their financial health and well being, if not more so. Th- does that you know, still hold? And yes. how does that change the marketing gestalt moving forward?
1: I think everything we're talking about right now goes back to understanding central human truth, which is why research is more important than ever before. People will find it maybe surprising that I would say that. I I don't know that people think of me as a researcher, but um, I think all the work that I do and all the work that my firm does really lives and dies on our understanding of consumer needs and expectations and what's driving behavior for different kinds of people. I can remember maybe more than a decade ago doing some work for General Motors. One of the challenges that GM had and continues to have is that it's really difficult to find the best young people to come work at General Motors. Why? Not because General Motors isn't an awesome company, it is an awesome company, but because General Motors is in Detroit and Detroit had a bad reputation. Now, I love Detroit. Anybody who's spent any time there knows it's an incredible city, but Detroit has a branding problem. Back then, 10 years ago, and it's only gotten more true because of the pandemic, what we found was that young people were more likely to decide where they wanted to live before they decided where they wanted to work in other words i would like to live in san diego it's a nice place to live let me consider my options in the san diego area not well i want to work for this company wherever they are so place even a decade ago was becoming more and more important as a factor in making decisions about the future of your career. I wanna live here. Let me see what companies I like there. That's just gotten more and more true over the course of the last, let's say three years as place and purpose and identity became more important than geez, I'll just take whoever pays me the most or I'll work for this company because I love them. I think that's created quite a bit of a challenge for some of the most innovative companies in the world who may work in places that are less desirable. And it's also what's driving a bunch of the resistance to return to the office.
0: Ross, do you see a Venn diagram between this new normal that you're talking about and the groundswell for more so-called empathetic marketing that was starting to emerge even before the pandemic.
1: It's funny you bring this up because I'm trying to detect any kind of bias in your question. If you have a personal bias on that word, empathetic marketing or empathetic leadership, it certainly became a buzzword that a lot of people use, especially over the last three years, especially as it relates to the social justice reckoning in the United States and in other countries as well. I'm baffled by the phrase, to be honest with you, because if you're not an empathetic leader, then pardon my language, but get the fuck out of marketing. If, uh-huh. you don't, if you don't spend your time and energy trying to understand the feelings of the people you want to reach and connect with, you shouldn't be doing this in the first place. Somehow in our world, the agency culture has taken a hit, unfortunately, and that's been crescendoing. Over the last two decades, mm-hmm. if you're a woman, if you're non binary, if you're a person of color, there's a really good chance you've had a pretty bad experience in whatever industry you're in. There's an even better chance you haven't had a great experience in this industry. And I think that's an existential problem for agencies, for marketers. And it led to some of the, the elevating of a, of a word like, empathetic leadership. But let's just be really clear. That's table stakes. If you're in marketing, if you're in advertising, Mm -hmm. if you're in creative or entertainment, media, you better be empathetic. Otherwise, you're not going to be good at your job. And no one's going to want to come work for you or work with you.
0: How do brands show people they get it? And how do they manifest?
1: Through what they do inside and out. Let's just start with inside, first and foremost. You and I could go through a long list of brands. You can tell those brands that have powerful operating systems. They might be very successful businesses. They may be growing or in decline, but you can tell the ones that do and the ones that do not have a belief system behind those operating systems. Then what happens to your business is when things get tough, you have nothing to hold on to. You have employees who find themselves asking really difficult questions like, do my values align with the values of the company I'm giving all my time and energy to? If not, why am I here?
0: With regard to agency-client relations, of course, agencies are working with their clients for the greater good, to grow both sides of the table, but there seem to be chronic limitations coming from both sides of the table. When it comes to agency-client relations, what's the difference between growth and healthy growth?
1: Matthew, we need a new social contract between agencies and brands. It's broken. It's shameful, and the the responsibility on the agency side is to be far less opaque and to ensure as an agency that your incentives, which have become so perverse, are aligned with the business objectives of your clients. It's difficult to watch what has happened to this industry, to us advertisers, as marketers, as creative people. I said a long time ago, there's no way I would ever work for an agency, having hired a lot of them, let alone run one. And here I am on this podcast with you, and we've said the A word a lot of times. Uh-huh. And every time you call us an agency, I go, ah, I don't know. I don't know if you want to, is there another word we could use for that? Most of the agencies have taken agency from their clients, but not given agency to their clients So we have to develop systems of impact that can respond in real time faster than a human being could to take advantage of what is working and to stop doing what is not working, for example, with a campaign. The only way you can do that in real time is through the marriage of science, technology, and creativity. Digiday called known an Iron Man suit of data science and creativity. I love it. It just was missing one part the human being inside the Iron Man suit. Tony Stark had to be in the Iron Man suit for it to work. The same is here at Known. So finding extraordinary talent, in many cases, people who don't even come from this industry, but are PhD data scientists who come from careers in advanced academics, advanced mathematics, who have advanced degrees in neuroscience and neurobiology, who work at Known, dozens of them, side by side with executive creative directors who win Can Lion Awards. That is truly the marriage of art and science that we've been talking about for a really long time. This industry that we're in is filled with smoke and mirrors. So it's really difficult to see who's actually doing what they say and who's just saying it. This brings me to my next point. Clients deserve so much better. And there are a bunch of agencies who are beginning to work on setting a new standard for modern marketing. We're just one of them. But it starts with rebuilding the trust by being accountable, by being transparent, and by aligning your goals for healthy growth with the business objectives of the clients that you serve. We don't win at known. If you buy more media, by the pound. We win when our clients win.
0: Stay with us. There's more to come. We now take a break for a brief message regarding a Newsstand. The ANA a produces four in-house publications covering the latest developments and trends in B2C, B2B, brand purpose, and across the industry at large. With practical insights from leading brand marketers, agency partners, and industry experts, our publications are designed to give marketers the real-world intelligence they need to drive growth and boost their value. Find the publications at ana.net slash newsstand. And now back to our show. Welcome back. I'm talking with Ross Martin, president of NOME. Ross, I want to come back to the human condition survey and the finding that 30% of Americans are planning to increase local spending at small businesses post pandemic. What does that say about national brands? Will they have to cultivate closer ties to local communities and local tastes for that matter? Or does that get prohibitively expensive and national brands will ultimately have to cede share to local products and services?
1: Everything you just said, I would answer yes and yes and yes. Business became more personal during the pandemic. It's really difficult to watch your neighbor's businesses go under. It's really difficult to drive through your town and see half of the stores empty. And this has happened across the country. It continues to happen because of the precarious economic conditions that we're in, especially in some less privileged parts of the country. What you have now seen in terms of Messaging is a a much more local emphasis from national advertisers, emphasizing the voice, the personality, and the characters of local franchisees, for example, to to put a more human and immediate neighborly face on really what was before just a giant behemoth of a brand.
0: So they are localizing. They are going to that expense in the sense that I walk up my block, 30% or so is dormant. Are the national brands at this point in the economy the only ones who could afford the space? But if they do buy the space, they have to be more strategic with the investment in terms of how they ultimately message in that environment.
1: We're talking about a couple of different things here, and I'll just break this question in half. I'm going to give you an example of some of the work we did with TikTok last year. If you'll remember during the pandemic, your refrigerator was, for a while, filled with a lot of old stuff that you just didn't get new stuff in for a while. And so what happened on TikTok was a lot of people, young, middle-aged, and old, were combining kinds of food that you never had seen combined before in funny and unusual ways. And some of those things went viral on TikTok because people were sharing their recipes. So you have cloud bread, you have whipped coffee, you have waffle cereal. Really funny, interesting stuff that people found amusing, but also they were like, wow, I wonder if I could do that at home. What we did with TikTok is partnered them up with Postmates. And we started this with local restaurants who were struggling first in Los Angeles. And we said to those restaurants, hey, these creators on TikTok have made food that wouldn't it be amazing if you could actually like have that food served? And delivered by Postmates. This partnership wasn't just great for the brand of TikTok and the business of Postmates, but it also started funneling business through kitchens that were really in trouble in Los Angeles and delivery people who were also in trouble in Los Angeles. and started to revive local businesses through this pilot program, and then also a cut went to the creators on TikTok who came up with these recipes. Mm-hmm. So here you have two national, huge companies, Postmates and TikToks, investing at a local level in business, but in a way that's accretive to their brand and their mm-hmm. business. The mm-hmm. other half of your question, how do we reach people in communities all over the country that are very different from one another with messaging on a national level? The answer is there is no one message that is going to work for all of those people, which is why when we launch a campaign, we launched 10,000 or more permutations of that campaign because there are not just segments, there are micro segments, Uh sometimes hundreds or thousands of them. And we are trying to reach people who are motivated by very different things, who are living in very different kinds of conditions, who believe very differently from one another. And if you are going to try to reach and connect with them with a single national message, you are most likely going to fall on your freaking face. And Uh thankfully. The technology on the platforms that we use to reach people has advanced so much that it can accommodate these levels of permutations and these iterations of creative so that we are reaching the right people, the right micro segments with the right messages at the right time in the right way.
0: But there's the digital accommodations, but I wonder also if it comes back to what you had talked about earlier in the conversation about, I'd like to work from anywhere Well, wouldn't that person who'd like to work from anywhere be great on the ground in this community that you are not necessarily familiar with in addition to the data?
1: You're 100% correct. There's no substitute for real human connection. It's also the job of marketers to become super sophisticated at understanding who's where and how to connect with them most meaningfully and also how to sequence our storytelling. There's so many times where an agency or a brand will launch the best campaign ever. And then you sort of see it get celebrated with awards or maybe a big story in Ad Age or Ad Week or campaign or the drum. And you go, wow, that was really clever. That was really good. That's never enough. Talking about the long-term narrative arc of a brand and a business and its relationship over time and space with very different kinds of consumers. That's 40 dimensional chess. If your agency or your internal team is not able to perform at that sophisticated and dimensionalized level that quickly, then you will always be leaving opportunity on the table, in some cases doing damage to your brand and business.
0: And the human condition survey also showed that the pandemic has changed the nature of work. And now we seem sort of steeped in this hybrid world between people being in the office and working from home. How is that impacting CMOs and their marketing teams, Ross? Is it a boon or a threat? To cohesion.
1: If you're in marketing today, if you run an agency like the one I work at, you know that half the battle really is optimizing for individual performance. I want my people who are extraordinary to be the best they could possibly be every day and to surprise themselves with what they can achieve. That's true. What's also true is the collective integrated power of a culture and a community, unlike other agencies and brands and businesses have. The serendipity, the magic that can happen when you accidentally run into somebody and they make you think of something or remember it, or when you can bounce ideas off of people because you're in the same space. It doesn't work when my rectangle has to make an appointment with your rectangle on a grid, on Outlook or on Zoom so that we can connect in an organized way that doesn't allow for the serendipity that we depend on to be the most creative, integrated and innovative marketing company.
0: And Ross, as we start to wrap up in this post pandemic world, as it progresses, where do you see branding headed? With so much change of foot and unpredictability, do you see major brands altering their overall tenor and or tone when it comes to consumer engagement? Do we wake up one day and a brand that we thought was fairly entrenched in tradition even though it was keeping up with the digital stuff and whatnot, that brand just makes really bold moves when it comes to its place in the world. And I think of the recent move by Patagonia and the founder announcing that he was transferring ownership of the company to an environmental nonprofit to help fight the climate crisis.
1: Is that a harbinger of things to come? The power of brands matter more than ever before. Having some intentionality, some strategy, around what you want people to think and what you want people to feel when they see you, when they hear your name has become more important, not less. The role of brands and businesses in society is more important today than ever. A company like ours, which is 500 people, we have our little impact on the US and the global economy. We have a far greater impact on our industry, on our people, their families, and on the communities that we live in and support, your social impact becomes part of how you live your brand. You mentioned Chenard and Patagonia. If you look at the history of that company and some of its competitors, including REI, you can see where this was headed a long time ago. And even though we weren't holding their playbook, when you heard that Patagonia was really being gifted to the planet, it makes so much sense. It's so within brand. And if you look at some of the work of Bill and Melinda Gates and their foundation, it's the same thing. Ultimately, though, he is a much more controversial figure, having gotten to know Elon Musk through our work with SpaceX. I I, I would say that you can expect the same thing of him. These are leaders that I admire. I think we all can look up to for their understanding of and appreciation for the role they play in the world beyond commercial success.
0: Okay, Ross. And to our lightning round question now, what is the most important challenge facing CMOs?
1: The complexity of understanding their consumers.
0: Okay. And we'll have to leave it there. Big thanks to my guest today, Ross Martin, president of Known. To learn more about the agency, go to known.is. And if you would like to recommend a guest or topic for a future episode, please email me at mschwartz at ana.net and be sure to subscribe to Champions of Growth wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Thanks for listening.